say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Today's episode of The Bottleman shall be opened with a poem. This is a poem written in the Coast Reporter, a local paper for BC's Sunshine Coast. It was written as a letter to the editor. 50,000 trucks I've read came to Ottawa, it said, to state the fact that truckers free and show it all to me and thee and to see the government face to face and present their truckers case. Engine snorting, stacks eventing, city traffic, thus preventing <laughs> do not plan to move away until directly have their say to face this mob he would not dare the pm's hiding in his lair that's beautiful thank um, you I, thank you i've got another one i can i can read please all right so this is uh from the society of classical poets uh it is a submission by jack Dubois. it is called ottawa ho in the days of yore, it is written, all the dreamers would dream of the sea, but the sailor's way has become passe. It's the trucker's life for me. How I long for the open highway. How I yearn to be boundless and free. Rising up with the dawn, turn the radio on. It's the trucker's life for me. In my sleeper cab parked on the roadside, I'd be cozy as can be. With the freeway's soft sweep, lulling me into sleep. It's the trucker's life for me. Oh, the solitude. How it is calling. All those hours with no company, but the red and white lights gleaming into the nights. It's the trucker's life for me. And if ever my nation is captured by the pirates of bold tyranny, I'd be up there with my truck to help get it unstuck. For it's the trucker's life for me. And here's the switch. Now, considering the fact that I suffer from a bad diesel fume allergy, it might logically... <laughs> It might logically seem I should table this dream of a trucker's life for me, and I'd likely do well to remember my slight problem with narcolepsy, and my failure to best that confounded road test is the trucker's life really for me? Well, perhaps I am better off sitting at my hearth with a hot mug of tea, sipping health to the men doing all that they can with their trucks to defend liberty, and a special salute to the truckers of the land of the fair maple tree. Your persistence and pluck makes me itch for a truck. It's the trucker's life for me. I mean, thank God. Land transportation has been crying out for their own Stan Rogers, and now we've got one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, uh, welcome. Welcome to The Bottleman. It is part, we're talking about the truckers again. And uh, this time, we've decided to class it up a little bit by adding a poetry reading at the beginning, and I think we'll probably make that standard. Um, and of course, our audience for this poetry reading is Chapo Trap House's Matt Chrisman. Matt, how's it going? I'm good. How are you guys? Very good. I feel I, like my... Sorry, go ahead. I'm, in, I'm still in Louisiana, far, far, far away from the, the trucker's convoy, but I, it, it got me thinking that like, I was thinking about like a developing a Morozovian theory about missing time where the Louisiana purchase never happened and Quebec ah. is like just a contiguous zone all the way down to the Gulf Coast. No, why not? I mean, and if if some of our uh, more enthusiastic patriots have their way, uh, you might ha you don't have to go anywhere to get to see truckers because uh, the American uprising is now going to come very shortly. 
It's starting in uh, Barstow, apparently. That's that's the word. Uh, the Makes first sense. convoy will leave from Barstow. They've done the they've done the classic leftist anti-government thing of projecting exactly where and when they will begin in, uh, begin their anti-state action. You know, the beautiful site. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's what what I think is a beautiful site is for once, for once, I, uh, the America is imitating us, and it's long overdue. I. I it has been it has been far too long that we've just like taken their their we've taken American Idol we had Canadian Idol uh, they chanted Let's Go Brandon we confusingly also chant Let's Go Brandon or Let's Go Brando so, wait a minute. Let's, <laughs> so Brandon is Trudeau also Brando yes. it's Let's Go Brando oh, okay God that's, 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 come on people show some self fucking respect we can't we absolutely cannot do it Matt um. I mean, it's it's as though he is the same figure, though, like oh, yeah. his Joe Biden and Trudeau. It's all branded. Well, they all just all hate branded, branded. Like I said on Shapo last week, it really is more. Canada is like in America if Obama never left office. Yeah. Like he, yeah. Trudeau is really he's still he is more, I think, crazy making than because, like, obviously everyone hates Brandon, Brandon in America. But the, the, one of the reasons they needed to get this slogan really is because he himself is such an elusive figure because it's this walking cadaver uh but you know trudeau still has the the uh he has that enraging smug uh kayfabe uh embrace of like liberalism as like an active faith as opposed to brandon who is very clearly presiding over its death throes and i think that makes him more like a specifically uh piquant figure of hatred which is why it's pathetic that you're just taking our uh, lame attempt to own a dead man who and who doesn't even know what's happening. Someone said, "Let's go, Brandon," to him at uh, some holiday uh, call-in thing, and he just goes, "Let's go, Brandon." I agree. Yeah. All right, Jack. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. I knew a Brandon. Yeah. You guys need okay. your. You guys come on. Although, yeah, now you guys get to feel smug though, because uh, it looks like Americans are now for the first time ever taking their cues from Canada. Although, you know, it's not like they haven't tried to do trucker protests in the U.S. There were a number of attempts uh, under Obama. They just never got off the ground. So, yeah, points yeah. to you guys remember, for uh, actually committing to something. I, I remember a specific one, wasn't it? They were like going to snarl up the beltway like that was their plan. It was in like 2010 yeah. it, it, it or something. Really I just remember this. And, uh, yeah. and it never came together. There was like two cars, two trucks. Mm. Yeah, well, in, in in this case, like it's um like we've said said last time, right? That the protest against True Bungler is True sort of um, across the nation is mostly it mostly hasn't been truckers. It's mostly just been guys in their SUVs, mm -hmm. um, especially as like we get across the country, where increasingly, like uh, there's a story I'm going to bring up later. Or I might as well bring up now, um, where a, <clears throat> a a school actually in Penticton, where Dan's running to be mayor, yes, um. And a school in Penticton in BC, uh, just a bunch of people, including uh, sort of notably someone who's in an inked magazine cover girl contest, um, just pulled up with their SUVs, waving Canadian flags, and then just like harassing the students for wearing masks. Um, and then just like basically just pulled up to the school and just yelled at people for a little while and then sort of ambled around and then left. And it's all just people in SUVs. Uh, who have who have those sort of various like you know it, it's just inscrutable pastimes like inked magazine cover girl that, that, uh, contestant that, 
event is kind of a microcosm of um, how the rest of you know how the how the rest of the how the capital was dealing with it because essentially this this crew pulled up violating the uh, you know like stay fifty meters away from the school if you're unmasked order uh, and the police were there originally and just left because they thought that the protest would not uh, would not turn into something where a grown woman is shrieking at a child and and the same with the school board they they the school employees just assumed that nothing would happen but of course it just evolved into uh into like a, a screaming match so i don't know but that's that's what strikes me about the all these things right it's it's it it sort of just devolves into a screaming match uh and then you know the 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 people who are want you to you know the people who hate true bungler and brando or whatever they kind of just amble away after being there after they could get bored you know it's like they they're 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 I don't like I think they're probably like individually pretty dangerous, but they still seem to have like no real plan. They just seem to be out there venting the um, venting like the you know fury that sort of builds up in them from you know, making themselves schizophrenic with like right wing media or whatever. I don't know. Also, just loving to inflict their personalities on this is kind of their their main weapon is just inflicting their awful personality on the public. <laughs> um. So the, the, the something you, you, we mentioned earlier, right? You mentioned about the the RCMP being there and then being like, "Ah, this is this is nothing. Uh, we don't care about this." Um, and what's what's happened, right, is that in since we last spoke about this, Trudeau has invoked like emergency powers that haven't since that were last invoked by, I believe, his father. Oh yeah, baby, uh, just watch yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think this particular act, which was written in 1982, has has never actually been invoked. It's right. It's it's very similar to uh, the thing that his father did, but it's but it's got different contours, and it's never actually been invoked until now. <laughs> and but it's been invoked because this is something that you you mentioned, Dan. I've been thinking about that the way to understand this and like you know how how the police act when there's like a big right wing protest, which again like tends to amount to people like milling around just you know being like i'm not wearing a mask are you triggered cough 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 um is is it you say it's it's sort of a police strike right where they just well where we are sort of going to we are going to decide to sort of covertly support what's going on here i mean like there's an example of last week right there was a video of a guy hitting a police officer with his car, the police officer coming around to the window and saying, can you please not do that again? And the guy was like, okay, I won't. And the cop walked away. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask, Matt, I wanted to ask you about this because I've been thinking about it a lot. Like, in, in your mind, like, to what extent does do you feel like this is, if you do, do you feel like this is manifesting as like a pseudo-police strike? Because police going on strike doesn't look like workers organizing and going on strike police strikes manifest in strange weird ways no i agree i think it's uh it i think it comes down to the fact that modern policing in the west is sort of specific certainly under the conditions that pervade now require to be effective uh requires a, a degree of dehumanization of the policed that these people are just not able to summon to these sort of people like these yes. are humans to them in a way that uh, the people that they police can't be. Uh, if they are, then the, the tools that are necessary to uh, maintain the police officer's own sense of authority over their space and commitment to the job and all that, 
go away. And, and you know, that's it's been pointed out many times how post-Vietnam and then vastly accelerated uh, once the war on terror started, how norms of uh, military occupation started to infuse themselves into domestic policing uh, uh, policies and outlooks and a- attitudes. And this this phenomenon of you know suburban uh, middle Canadians uh, showing up and doing the sort of thing that police are used to getting from young snot noses and minorities or, or indigenous people in the case of India of Canada, uh, and they just don't know what to do. And then that's compounded drastically by the fact that they mostly agree with the demands. Like they have an actual yeah. uh, 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 sympathy with the stated aims of the protest, which of course is another thing that they never have to worry about when they're dealing with other protesters. So I, through this combination of like sympathy with the strike and, and this breakdown of their, their basic like uh, occupational programming, they uh, have diffused themselves as an effective police force. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's also like important just to briefly note that the RCMP's uh, foundation was based on them clearing the land. They were to be the colonial police force that uh, dealt with indigenous population as Canada expanded westward. So that's baked in. That is baked into mm-hmm. Canadian police. I mean, and and like Matt said, like you can't really do like a counterinsurgency operation if you sympathize with the people who are insurgents. No, it doesn't work. The French, uh, the uh, the Russian Revolution effectively started when the Cossacks refused to fire on the crowds of Petrograd. You know, See, I, I, this, I think it comes back to the, the useful way to think about this. I think is that the the protesters see themselves as deputized by certain elements of the state that tend to be involved in like the conservative movement, right? Because the, the what they're doing is they're saying, well. They're responding to this call of, well, we would love to have our freedom. We don't have our freedom. Here are the things that are in the way of us getting our freedom, but we're stopped by too many lawyers and bureaucrats and pencil pushers from doing it. Wink, wink. And so, like, it seems to me like the the that you're you're deputized to be doing a lot of the same kinds of things. You're deputized by like you're deputized by extraordinarily right wing culture. You're deputized by a lot of very right wing institutions. Like this is why like all of the police who've gotten kicked out of the f- police forces for not taking the vaccine have assembled another force called police on guard and they've de- and they've deputized themselves as the police liaisons for the protesters right so like these these organizations have like have pretty not dissimilar aims of like policing whatever whatever the frontier is whether that's a real or an imaginary one and right now the the frontier is in like you know, deciding that the ordinary functioning of the state is communism. And so they've all kind of, they're all acting out their own little version of Red Dawn, but against like a non-enemy, against nobody. Well, I mean, I think it's it's, against, it's against the the unendurable present condition. Like, I really do think that uh, one thing that gets uh, sort of overlooked in all of the discussion of protests that have erupted since last, since the t- summer of 2020, because, you know, there's a lot of people drawing comparisons to the response of the state to uh, this versus uh, the BLM protests and also the response of people uh, just as observers, like of what they value. People are probably going out like, oh, when a BLM does this, it's okay, it's righteous. And when the truckers do it, it's it's wrong. And now you want the state to be fascistic when before you were complaining about it. 
Like this whole constellation of protest is, I think, impossible to imagine outside of the context of the state, America and Canada equally, completely failing in its basic uh, responsibility to provide any sort of effective countermeasure to a fucking crisis. Like the reason yes. the state's legitimacy rests on its ability to uh, provide some basic function along all kinds of axes, but that that axis is most sharply uh, felt during moments of crisis. And all that anybody feels, whether they're a comfortable, uh, 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 I was think I'm trying to think of a suburb of Toronto where where like small business. <laughs> oh, Riley, go where? where? Markham, Oakville. Mar okay, Markham, Oakville, Oakville. Uh, yeah, there we like, go. Somebody with a you know a small business and 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 a, and a boat or whatever, even if they are not materially working class in any way. First of all, nobody really experiences themselves through a lens of class in either country anymore. Uh, they are consumers, they're individuals, uh, and even if they are you know not materially precarious, maybe a family member has died of COVID, and even if they haven't, lives have been reduced in their quality. Like things are. Shit here. It is shittier to live as a person. Uh, and it has been now ever since really the summer of 2020 when it dawned on people that, oh, all this sacrifice, uh, 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 this World War II, you know, feeling of we're all in this together to stop this crisis uh, was for nothing. You know, it's like you start planning a victory garden to, 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 to uh, you know, support the boys going into Anzio. Uh, and then, you know, turning on the radio and finding out that uh, Goebbels is in charge. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, why? And then they're telling you, yeah, you need to keep growing that victory garden, by the way. We, we invaded it. The Nazis invaded and took over and won the war. But you still have to, you know, uh, have turnips in your yard uh, and carpool everywhere. Like, why would you do that? Like, the state failed to do the thing. And everyone is uh, expressing their alienation from the order like you see it in ways great and small organized and unorganized the increase in traffic violence and and uh uh incidents on airplanes and uh just a general and you know violent crime which is on the rise in many places just people are are they're trying to process living in a world that they didn't think they lived in and that's manifesting itself uh through these protests that organize around mm -hmm. because it's you know we're in the Western uh, media sphere. We're not living as members of a class. Uh, we're member. We're we're living as consumers of media uh, content and demographic tranches. And so, according to those demographic symbols and cultural uh, shibboleths, we organize our opposition, and we call it police brutality. We call it uh, the mandates. But what it really is is just our barbaric yawp against the the failure of the state. But the problem is, because we're just these scattered monads trying to figure out what's wrong, why this happened, cannot lead to any uh, like broad conclusion. Oh, it's capitalism, you know, however you want to define it. We don't have that voice. We don't have that cultural pole to organize uh, conceptions around. We only have the, the, what the media at, has to offer us, which is just this culture war divided by an urban and suburban pole that we then organize all of our thoughts and opinions about uh, around and in opposition to this other group of our fellow citizens, which means that we cannot um, effectively do anything other than show up somewhere and then hope something happens, hope somebody does something, because we cannot conceive of holding or doing power, doing anything with power because we don't have organizational capacity. And so what ends up happening, no matter what is, wherever the money is, 
all the actual influence of the of the of this of the movement, all all the uh, direction of the energy uh, organizes around money. Uh, and who because in a, in a, in a situation where everybody is organizing out of just an individual desire to express their alienation, uh, and they might have a political coat to it, but at the end of the day, they're participating in a cultural ritual. The only people who are going to consistently be able to direct action are those who are materially uh, benefiting in one way from their participation, where it's not yeah. just a libidinal explosion, where they're getting like material benefits in the form of fucking paychecks uh, or subsidy of some kind. And that or power, power, and that is always going to gravitate uh, to who is paying for it. And the people who are putting money in are always going to be capital. It's going to, you can have small donors all you want, but eventually it's going to get drowned out by big money because big money can direct itself, direct its own flow in a way that the spontaneous anything of the, of the masses can't do. And so it has agency. Yeah, like it has agency. It has agency, and exactly. And we can only have the pseudo agency of participating in something that is, from our perspective, sterilized because we cannot do anything collectively. And I, I think then that that gives a good answer, right? Because one of the things that the Canadian media has been talking about about this has been like, well, it's weird how <clears throat> there's been this uh, series of protests, right? These spontaneous you know, outbursts, as you're saying that, right? But the only political scalp that it's taken so far is that of the Tory leader, Aaron O'Toole. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. He immediately got cannibalized by his own, like, by, by the senior members of his own party because he was not able to, like, be the linchpin of that sort of whirlpool of libidinal energy. He could not and direct so, the flow. He, yeah. he could and not so, harness the spice. Yeah. He was not the guild, the guild yeah. navigator. Yeah. Yes. And, and so what you end up with is you end up with uh, a kind of where, where sort of Trumpism has kind of snookered the Canadian right because the only person they want is the one they see on the media, exactly. which is Trump. Yeah, they want Trump, but they can't, they can't have him. him because of your stupid <laughs> constitution. <laughs> <laughs> what a great tragedy. <laughs> yeah. And and so and so now there's this question of like, well, who in the Canadian Conservative Party is going to be able to like be Donald Trump? No, you can't do it. You can't do it. No. The closest thing you had, like in terms of not their political opinions, because who gives a shit, their media uh, uh, profile, who was interested in the job was poor, poor Mr. Wonderful. And without him there, <laughs> you're fucking shit out of luck, because whoever it's going to be is at the end of the day going to be a politician. Which yes. means that people don't pay attention to them or know who their name because they're entertaining, but because of they stand in for some what abstract political principles who gives a fucking shiny shit. They, they, they care about the people who are entertaining to them. We all care about the people who are entertaining to us. That's how Trump got the nomination. He was entertaining. He was able to wed his entertain. Mm. He was smart enough to wed his persona and charisma to third rail issues that were that the. Uh, Professional Republicans were unable to touch because of their enmeshment in the party structure that he was independent of. Uh, and mm -hmm. but it was his celebrity first and foremost. And there's no celebrities in Canada who can do this. Wayne Gretzky, maybe is he going to come out as like a truck guy? Don Cherry, maybe Don uh, Cherry. Don Cherry could do it. Yeah, Don Cherry. Okay, could do it. now we're talking. I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're saying right. We Mr. Wonderful couldn't do it because he didn't speak yeah. French. It's, See, that's like, this no, is another problem is to yeah. be the Trump guy, you have to actually be a bilingual Canadian. And not, it really <laughs> does speak to like how how like cultural hegemony is expressed differently in the United States versus Canada. You know, like mm -hmm. there's a baseline uh, uh, pluralism built into Canadian 
politics because of the 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 irre, uh, the irresolvable uh you know for um uh that that remainder that chunk of fucking Quebecois who just will not go anywhere like you couldn't export them all to Louisiana you know so you've got to deal with them well that doesn't really happen in the United States they can there's an accommodation but it's a much lower level than everything has to be in both languages holy shit mm-hmm. you'd never be able to do that you'd never be able to impose that uh on behalf no, of a minority couldn't do it uh, but and no no one who would be willing to like channel the trumpet like no trump equivalent is going to learn a fucking second language i mean i've got another possible possible entry uh probably not as successful as don cherry but uh quebec QAnon kingpin alexis cassette trudel who is the uh son of the cassette trudel couple that kidnapped the british trade minister on behalf of the flq (laughs) and then were given safe passage to havana gave birth to Alexis in Havana, repatriated themselves. Alexis is now basically running QAnon in Quebec. So he's maybe a guy. So this is the, that would be the ideological endpoint of the FLQ. You know, I, I got to say, it, this really does make sense to me why in the U.S. You, you this has been so hard and coming together, like comparatively, considering the fact that, you know, we've got plenty of these people too, and they're more dominant. They have more, much more power over the the party that you know represents them in the culture war uh and yet they're and brandon is there being brandon and i think that why they're not why they're coming coming slow to this and why i actually don't think that this convoy thing in america is going to catch on anywhere like it is going to like it did in canada uh is because we can have trump and in a lot the minds of a lot of these people we still do he's still president he was never defeated you know he has been he's been occluded for four years and he's going to come back so like there's a there is a political vent for their feeling. There is a world where they can vote and root for a candidate and get to the promised land. It'll never come, of course, and they'll have to complete compete continue to create you know castles in the sky to explain why they don't have utopia under Trump. But that is still a thing to do. You know, it's you can you can rotate that uh, cube in your mind. But there's no that that uh, psychic horizon is blocked in Canada. There's nowhere for that orgone to go. Because there's no it's one. Just gonna there keep be accumulating. No so you've got to. You actually can like stay in Ottawa for fucking like two weeks and block international traffic and like have real standoffs with state authorities in a way that most Americans just aren't willing to do. But what? But what you're saying is basically they're edging a a, a grand Reichian release yes. that will never happen. Exactly. But the promise of it keeps them obeying. And the lack of that mm-hmm. promise for the Canadians who are basically the same as them in every cultural and uh, uh, respect, it's got nowhere to go. They, 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 there's no dream to cat to chase. And so there can only be a final confrontation with the state. Of course, all it can take the form of is a giant tailgate party because these are cosseted uh, 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 suburbanites who have never uh, confronted power in their life, have only been accommodated by it, and don't know what to do. They don't know how to f- confront it. But of course, because... What's what's funny about this, and I think explains a lot of left wing sympathy for the truckers, uh, mm-hmm. even among people who aren't, you know, like uh, uh, va- vaccine pilled, uh, yeah. is that holy shit? Here's protest that actually like threatens power, like actually challenges the dominant political structures and and economic mm-hmm. uh, the underlying economic motor. Like, damn, like you can 
block the fucking ambassador bridge and 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 uh, what the hell like a bunch of people the, the the best they could muster under blm was get people onto a highway uh chain to each other to stop what a commute of just you mm-hmm. know some some people from their office clickety clack jobs and then of course the cops would show up five minutes later and pull them all off uh and of That's course so you know, it's, a chick- about this. it's a chicken and egg thing though because the reason they're able to do that is because the cops won't go against them like they're yes. diffused by that uh and and people see just that effectiveness, that robustness. And they're like, I want that for me, Lord. You know, how can we harness this for the left? And my, I really do think you can't harness anything from the left because there is no point to rally around that isn't just already part of the cultural diffusion and the cultural separation that makes it impossible to communicate across these barriers. You know, and so security forces are going to look at you and your friends like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking about a, pro, a protest I took part in at the Israeli embassy and they're going to look at your head and cartoon like it will transmogrify into a ripe melon uh, that they can that they want to smash. You know, I mean, the conditions like, of just, modern popular revolt against, uh, you know, the the uh, against the like the capitalist modern state uh, absent an engine of like effective class politics is the Iranian revolution, right? Where you get this broad coalition of people from the religious right to the communist left overthrowing a, a, yeah. a, a, a ineffective, corrupt regime that can no longer uh, maintain its and, ex- and extend its authority over its citizens. And then in the contest to follow the uh, left is uh, isolated and uh, annihilated because of their, their relative, uh, because the asymmetry of organizational capacity compared to like the the structure of the the church or i'm sorry of the of uh the uh like the shia hierarchy in iran and its connection to you know traditional land owning classes and all that and, and power sources that any religious superstructure is going to be beholden to and then these the student movement and and workers uh but of course because it's you know it's once you get past the 70s uh, everywhere you look, you see the pyramid of uh, of the left social movement inverted, where before you had a base of working class activists, strikers, and, and, and sympathizers, and then a, a, a top of intellectuals and, and students. Uh, post-World War II, basically everywhere is a process of that pyramid being inverted, where all of the actual numbers are among the uh, sympathetically socialist as opposed to the materially Socialist, and that that is a coalition that's not going to be able to defeat Allah. And you know, if we want to call the idea of American individual freedom, like the Protestant self worship, Protestant godhood, yeah. as our Allah, it's it's going to win too. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's. I want to talk about the 1970s. I mean, this is part of why we had you on, Matt. Like, um, I want to talk about this strange phenomenon. I mean, maybe I'll roll back a second here. So we've already established on this show that the convoy. Uh, is not like 100% made up of guys who drive trucks for a living. Yeah. But mm. the the convoy itself and the people funding the convoy have found it uh, expedient and, and also necessary to wrap themselves in this costume of truckers. So I wanted to ask you, what is like, what is the... Uh, avatar of a trucker what is it what is the general conception of what is what does trucker represent and why are they still held up as kind of a libertarian specifically american libertarian icon well they are the last cowboys right because if you look at uh like the formation of class in america in the 19th century after civil war 
right? When it's these big capital concentrations coming out of the of the structure, the struggle itself, all of this new capital created by a uh, a greenback economy, right? Uh, that is able to buy buy itself back into uh, on its own terms the uh, post war uh, gold economy, and is able to carry out a process of turning all those Jeffersonian yeomen whose freedom and autonomy from the market is what made American democracy real and turn them into uh, into proletarians, basically. Going to turn them into a position where freedom is, according to America's founding document, impossible. A subject, a, a, a neo-vassalage, right? And in the cities, this is uh, creating these ar- uh, armies of uh, impoverished factory workers and then reserve armies of the unemployed. Uh, and uh, this big grinding machine of all of the dispossessed peasants of uh, uh, Europe coming in to take those jobs, which of course allowed the uh, the Native Americans the, who uh, families had come earlier uh, to enjoy a fantasy of uh, of immunity from this for a while, right? Because they didn't have to. Because in other countries, like in Europe, as soon as those industrial engines uh, start uh, worrying the life in the cities. They literally become magnets from the countryside, magnets from the rural uh, self-sufficiency culture that allows you to think that you have control over your life and that mm-hmm. you get pulled away from it. And that causes social disruption. And that social disruption in America was sort of alleviated by the fact that the people being ripped from their uh, farms and from their self-sufficiency weren't being ripped uh, by their leaders, right? They're being ripped into this new country. Uh, uh, and Native Americans got to stay home, basically. But even in the West, though, even at, at the tip of the spear of where, where uh, the, the idea of frontier freedom was most uh, uh, extant, you still had proletarization occurring because you had the, the rise of large-scale cattle uh, ranching necessitated an, a, basically a horse-based uh, workforce of uh, essentially cow overseers. Uh, people to direct this flow. And they're not going to be farmers. They're not going to be self-sufficient. They're going to be working for a paycheck. And so mm-hmm. this is, pro- and these people are the ones who, for one reason or another, couldn't get a little piece of heaven back west, back east, or couldn't ha- hold on to one out west and needed to get a job. And that job was as much a uh, subject position, as much a session of liberty as the guy working at a factory in uh, western Pennsylvania. But Instead of being in a factory, you're out on the range. You've got a gun you're, at your uh, head. To- you've got a car. You've got a fucking horse. You have a illusion of freedom. Now your freedom is just to follow these horses, then go into town, uh, put down one shiny gold coin for uh, two hours <laughs> with a prostitute, uh, a giant steak, and four hours at the pharaoh table with a bottle of bourbon, uh, and then getting shot or like dying of domaine poisoning. It totally constricted, <laughs> totally de- determined by capital as much as any industrial proletarian, but with this personal sense of freedom. So, of course, what is the American self-conception of the worker in the late 19th century? It's the fucking cowboy. Right. It's, it, that's right. where it has to. That's where the American dream has to be uh, 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 culturally embodied. For us to believe in this fucking thing, to us to believe in this country, to believe in its in its frauds. And in the <laughs> 70s, so for a period there, after World War II, we kind of got rid of that. Like the organization man uh, really did overtake so- society. And there was this moment of uh, American 
civic and cultural collectivism uh, yeah. coming out of the New Deal uh, uh, consensus. And of course, you know, prescribed to the same white Native Americans that it had been in uh, the, the 20s, right, that it had been at the turn of the uh, 19th century. Uh, but like they, they could have this uh, this lifestyle that allows them the same autonomy as the cowboy, uh, even though maybe they do work in a factory because their time off, they get to express themselves the same way that the cowboy could. Uh, but then that starts to break down in the 70s along all axes as the fractures erupt. And we need a new cowboy, basically. We need well, a new cowboy the, to the, the... embody the escape for the working class anyway from the horrors of proletarianization. Now, for the uh, educated college class, for the professional class, they, of course, had an entirely different uh, experience of this because uh, they're not afraid they're going to get thrown to a factory by uh, by this new imposed uh, system because it values now uh, intelligence. And so you can be a cowboy capital. of the mind. Yeah. And that's where the PMC fled to. But for the working class, what is a cowboy of the material economy? It's somebody who is serving the industrial process, but from outside its confines, out on the road yes. with a fucking truck. And that's why the 70s is this huge efflorescence of uh, trucker culture and trucker romance, which and well, there's a yeah, there's a hinge point here, which is 1973, yes, and it's the yes. Yom Kippur, it's the it's the Yom Kippur War, right? So, so we have the Yom Kippur War in 1973, and I want to read a quick quote from an interview with Saudi oil minister Sheikh Zaki Amani. So this is from a television interview in 1973, as America is doing. Uh, gas austerity yes. as America is handing down a 55 mile an hour speed limit across the entire and country. You can't drive 55. You cannot Officer, drive 55. Please. <laughs> Here's what Sheikh Yamani has to say. So the question is to him Doesn't this new massive increase in the price of oil mean a change in the world balance of power between developing nations like you, the producers, and us, the developed industrialized nations? And Sheikh. Uh, Yamani says, yes, it will. And the next question is, what do you think arises from that? And Sheikh Yamani says, well, it's a new type of relationship. You have to adjust yourself to these new circumstances. And I think you have to sit down and talk seriously with us about this new era. And there it is, you know. As like Paul there, Volcker there is would later kind of a, say, the standard of living of the average American must go down. Uh, that's the only resolution to this this asymmetry in a new globalized uh, capitalist system. Uh, in order to keep the periphery on board with this thing, you've got to fatten up their top their their top slice of population, right? And that requires moving some of that fat, redistributing it from the American middle class, uh, and uh, yeah. and that necessitated, uh, uh, and that was and the the signal that started it is is this huge shock to energy prices, which had been this underpriced benefit of being the imperial center, is that you have this uh, new oil economy that is powering all of this, uh, but you get to set the price of it, essentially, from the center, to your needs. That's right. Not to the needs of That's the extract, right. those having it extracted, and what they would charge. And that can only last so long as a certain uh, hegemony is established, and as long uh, as uh, there's enough, there literally is enough profit at the center to accommodate it. But once that, uh, dis once that profit surplus, the surplus profit starts to uh, secularly decline, 
the rate of profit after the uh, total uh, uh, abnormal normality of World War II, where you know a vast amount of uh, capitalist capital is just wiped off the board, and you're essentially starting over from this you know new American centered post-war capitalism. Um, uh, that situation starts to stabilize by the seventies, and that means that the the that it has to be redistributed. And how how Americans come to terms with that is really uh, why the seventies is this underrated uh, era for uh, labor unrest. It really was. It was yeah. the most. Uh, uh, it was the most uh, strike filled era since the post war era when the uh, Fordist Compromise was struck uh, on really the corpse of the American labor movement. With Taft Hartley and 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 the right wing uh, uh, electoral revolt of the of 1948, kind of kicking the whole thing off. Uh, and truckers were really at the at the forefront of this because yes, in '73 there was a massive trucker uh, march on Washington that yeah. shut the fucking place down. Uh, and Started protesting, uh, uh, oil, uh, protesting the price of uh, fuel that was uh, cutting into their ability to make a living. Started in uh, started by a Kansas City native named J.W. Edwards, who was the first guy to park his truck across the I-80. And I thought this was interesting. Like he used this new technology as uh, not unlike um, the the convoy protesters in Canada are using Zello or whatever fucking walkie talkie app. He was using the CB radio, yeah. which was citizens citizens band radio. So of kind its of a time. primitive telegram. Yes. Facebook. So like on the road. Yeah, so in 1973, there were only 800, I mean, only 800,000 um, CB radio licenses in, in America. But the, by the, that time next year, there would be 11 million. So people were adopting this new technology. Even people at home who didn't drive trucks were, were getting, on the, getting on the horn and being like, breaker, breaker, there's the Smokey in the brown bag. This is Big Squirrel, you know. Uh, America was seduced by this. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said earlier, Matt, like uh, about about the convoy being kind of seductive to leftists. Like, I think regular Americans who were sort of just absolutely fucking burnt out by the chaos of the 1960s and early 70s saw the truckers moving into Washington as someone doing something. Yes. Like America's uh, cowboys uh, riding up to fight the bad guy in the black hat. Jimmy, uh, at that point, uh, Gerald Ford. Uh, but of yeah. course, it would yeah. you know turn into Carter, and he would get to be the avatar for all of uh, the, the most uh, uh, fatal contradictions of, of that uh, political order. Uh, and uh, there's also throughout this period uh, uh, a huge battle within uh, the uh, trucking industry between uh, independent uh, drivers uh, and the unions that represented them, uh, truckers to uh companies the mainly the yeah, let's talk about that yeah. let's let's talk about the difference between so the so these protests manifested mostly as an uh as as independent truckers uh blocking roads organizing convoys with the cb radio technology um sometimes dropping fucking bricks yes. off overpasses on teamsters and sometimes taking pot shots at yes them. um yeah no there was a actual gun yeah, so, so the late 70s saw a huge uh, spike in in violent uh, labor unrest among truckers. You had independents going to war with the Teamsters, but you also had uh, this group, the uh, the uh, I remember the name because uh, it's such an awesome name, the Fraternity of Steel Haulers or oh, Fash, yes. 
was a <laughs> was a subgroup within oh, uh, Teamsters that represented independent haulers of steel within the greater Teamster, uh, you know, uh, constellation of of drivers, uh, both you know, in, directly employed and independents, and they wanted to be able to deal independently with the steel companies. They didn't want to have to go through the Teamsters because they felt like the Teamsters were sacrificing their interests uh, to, towards the, the, the center of gravity of their membership. Uh, and they staged a wildcat strike against uh, the Teamsters that saw also people getting shot in their cabs while, taking, uh, uh, while sleeping, uh, people being pulled out of their cabs and beaten up. Uh, uh, sabotage brake lines getting cut. Uh, that sweat and this um, this conflict, which is really you know the death throes of stability uh, and and the Fordist consensus within tr transportation, just as it's being destroyed in uh, inside the factories. Uh, like with all those conflicts, ends up being resolved by uh, deregulation, uh, by uh, all of this all of this uh, labor strife ends up. Uh, being neutralized over time by 1980s Motor Carrier Act, uh, which helped drastically reduce the cost uh, to large retailers, which therefore reduced inflation pressure uh, by essentially uh, removing all the regulations that maintained uh, like wage floors in the industry. Uh, and, yeah, and which is perfect for an era that's like um, where where the expression of your right as a democratic citizen is manifested in consumption. Exactly. Like if 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 you cannot resolve this contradiction within uh, within the context of you know a bunch of workers trying to extract more more from their uh, employers, which the state is it is in the process of uh, of lobotomizing itself basically and making itself incapable of doing that sort of intervention in the economy uh all that you can do the only lever you can push is to make things a little bit cheaper for people to buy which for the people who are going to get squeezed out of independence uh means hey at least i can pay less for uh basic resources but uh, for those who are a little luckier the dream now exists of being a independent who now gets to pay lower taxes, gets cheaper stuff at the store, and also keep their independent rig, keep their independent lifestyle, and keep the keep the income that they had become accustomed to. So that they become owner operators. Exactly. Yes. And this is and this is uh, the the uh, this is the one. This is the frontier like homestead plot on wheels. You know. This right. is the, so the this this the culture like for the working class. This culture like explodes after 1973 in American popular consciousness. So you get um, you get all these songs. You get like "Driving My Life Away" by Eddie Rabbit, uh, "Brothers of the Highway" by Tony Justice, uh, oh, yeah. 60, 18 Wheels and a Dozen Roses," and the the banger of all bangers of Trucker Jams, which is C. W. McCall's "Convoy," Convoy, which which is turned. Into a film yes. by a cocaine-addled Sam Peckinpah. Chris Christopherson. This is one of Sam Peckinpah's last films. He sh uh, he used more film. This is a detail I've always found very humorous. That he used more film shooting Convoy than he did shooting The Wild Bunch. <laughs> a movie where he famously had like a giant shootout with like thirty fucking cameras going at once, so that he could edit it into the like surrealistic montage. Uh, he used less film than just shooting 
uh, shooting Chris Christopherson on his CB. <laughs> so yeah, he was so incredible. He was definitely around the bend by then. You all, I mean, as an aside, you also get the Clint Eastwood uh, duology yes. uh, trucker, chi- trick, trucker chimp movies. You get uh, Every Which Way But Loose, and it's less successful sequel, Any Which, any way, which you way You Can. Yep, with um, Clyde the Orangutan. We love him, don't we, folks? I love that Clyde the Orangutan. I, that, that movie has the most incredible pacing where it's just like um, kind of maudlin truck scene with... Uh, Eastwood and the chimp, they get out, get into some hijinks. There's a fist fight. They get back in the truck. You know, it's uh, it's very relaxing. You know, in America, in an America where uh, there is less of a gap between how these the people who identify with the cowboy ethos culturally, how they actually were compared to how they imagine themselves. Uh, there's a world where uh, Clint Eastwood was the Trump instead of uh, Trump. And then you would have kept uh, a perfect uh, synchronicity of actors working with apes uh, becoming presidents. Yes, you got your Reagan, you got your Eastwood. Well, so, you know, the the American mind is captured by this, but all good things have to come to an end. So if uh, if the 1970s was the summer of truck, I would say 1979 was its Altamont. Yeah, because uh, you have you have an event that you mentioned earlier, Matt, the Iranian Revolution, Mm -hmm. another uh, (laughs) Another uh, has catastrophic effects on uh, the price of American oil. Uh, as we mentioned, th- it had been a half a decade, almost a decade of strikes by independents, death threats, gun battles, Teamsters getting shot dead in their cabs. Uh, Carter just brings down the hammer, calls the protests uh, lawless and unjustified in their actions. And I, I was thinking about something while I was researching this was, at the beginning of this uh, trucker as cowboy uh, manifestation, you had these movies like Convoy and Smokey and the Bandit. But by the end of it, you had Mad Max, mm-hmm. which which I think really accurately reflects the public's exhaustion with uh, this chaos. Yeah, like like the, the the hero in that film is a police officer. Yeah, he's got to settle guys, everybody down. And the bad guys are the convoy guys, yeah. right? We got so, we got to re. Uh... We got to uh, lay down the law here because uh, some of you aren't taking the news terribly well. And you got to just, yes. hey, I'm sorry. You wanted to be a truck driver? Too bad. You get to, you get to, I wanted- you get to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, go home and hope that you can get a job at the factory. Oh, that, oh, it's closing. Oh, now what job? Uh, good fucking luck. But hey, you know, socks will be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Mad Max 2 is hiring production yeah. assistants. Maybe you can get a job there. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to ask both you guys, you know, as as this as this uh, star of the trucker fades away in the American consciousness at the dawn of the '80s. How much do you think the and we touched on it briefly, but how much do you think the pivot to the flood of cheap credit and and this sort of uh, idea that the the most noble thing to do as an American citizen is to consume yeah. in the '80s? Do you, do you think that contributed to the uh, sort of fading of the outlaw. Well, yeah, because it, you're you're recalibrating like the social values that you're promo- that you're claiming that the society you live in is providing you, right? Cuz like you know what you should be expecting and what you know to look for in your life by looking at the culture that is produced around you. You don't really have a lot of other uh ways to figure that out, especially as you know uh, suburban uh, isolation becomes the providing social mode, people aren't 
interacting with one another that much. They're interacting with media. So how do you know what you even want? That's what the media is there to tell you. And the 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 trucker uh, explosion was this uh, in, a reinforcing of the like the dream of that autonomy. But as that goes away as a possibility, you know, because uh, those contradictions have to be uh, resolved by the sacrifice of labor power. Uh, that means okay, you don't actually want those things. Those values aren't uh, part of the package of what you're to be expect from America. And then that package now becomes the prospect of uh, consuming, making money just uh, through engagement with finance, with the market. Uh, that's your dream, the lottery, basically. That, that's Financial the dream capitals. for uh, the, the working class post-80s uh, uh, is the lottery, one way or the other. The physical lottery of like that's, your ability to engage in a sport, uh, uh, the uh, mental lottery of being able to participate in the new finance economy, uh, uh, or the actual lottery in terms of uh, <laughs> getting money because you put your name in. Yeah. Well, if you want to know who I think the, if you because if you think about this, right, the 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 construction of cowboy of trucker of, of biker briefly. Was always this sort of this, this, the blue collar renegade, right? Who, Matt, as you say, like is still proletarianized, but is like is is escaped the physical manifestations of, or has escaped the cultural and, and experiential manifestations of proletarianization. They've gone to a factory, they're doing that stuff. If you wonder, I don't, I don't think there really is a blue collar renegade anymore. Yeah. After at that point at all, it, what there is, there's a white collar renegade. There's a banker. Yeah. He's the one, and and what he's doing, he is. No one can tell him what to do because he's going to come in. He's going to do a leverage buyout. He's like Michael Milken or whatever, inventing new kinds of like cheap credit. You know, it's like these these are the cowboys, and they were the cowboys from 1980 until 2008. There is, there's one like, other. You wanna, there's, like with right. everything, though, you know, it's it's class divided, right? Because if you make that money, you're no longer a worker. Mm-hmm. But, so there is still a worker who can have that sort of uh, renegadeness. There still is Twitch streamers, a police officer. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. That is like yeah. what, like when we think of the cowboy, when we say cowboy, we're not just thinking of guys. In fact, we're mostly not thinking of guys who rode around behind cow asses sucking on methane. We're actually thinking of marshals, of police officers, like cops enforcing the law yeah. or mm-hmm. violating it. But if we're going to, you know, play by the rules because we've been sufficiently acculturated to not make actual law breaking their livelihood like becoming a professional criminal which requires a radical alienation that most american uh working class people didn't feel at that point uh certainly the white ones so in that dichotomy where can you uh you know put yourself where can you imagine yourself where you can be free of capitalism's domination be able to enforce your will in the world in the form of by your own decree determining what the law is by by applying it that's the last, mm-hmm. the last gasp of it, the last passion, which is why those fucking cops in Ottawa can't really bring themselves to crack skulls because they're looking into a mirror. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, I think it's, and like sort of bringing it back round, right? Like, this is also why I think a lot of the, the, the especially the trucker protests, but this form of like, you know, right wing fury with the state. I mean, if you want to think about sort of how it manifests itself. It's a lot of it is by saying, well, we actually know the real law and we're about That's to, exactly. um, you know, enforce the real law on the pretenders in the government. We're going to go arrest, you know, Brandon uh, or Brando 
and we're gonna get him and then we're gonna it's well it's like that's how um sort of just br- bringing it back around right how the the fucking uh, 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 the the freedom convoy. They their police liaison, a guy called Tom Morazzo, who is a um, is in fact a software developer from Markham, I believe. Who was um, in the Canadian military, but only in the yeah. capacity of software developer. So yeah. it is sort of a pseudo stealing of valor in a way. He he said, "I want to go home, but I'm not going to go until I'm no longer needed here," and I'm. I'm not calling on all you protesters to come here and, he says, make crimes, but we have been called here. We got sent here to send a message, and honestly, the message isn't getting through. I don't mean to bash the guy, but Trudeau has a 22 caliber mind and a 357 world. That's very world. gracious of him. Don't these guys think that he, like, <laughs> eats children? Yeah. <laughs> well, this yeah. is supposed to be, like, the respect. This is the optics yeah, cock totally. of the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he's calling him Trudeau is for one, not True Bungler, not Brando. <laughs> yeah, Come on. Exactly. Uh, he says, so let's get around a table. I'm willing to sit with the conservatives, the NDP and the bloc as a coalition. I'll even sit with the governor general. Put us at a table with someone who actually cares about Canada. So I think that the comparison you draw with the with with like the next evolution from truckers is cops is a great one because like even if these people aren't truckers they see themselves as truckers and they see themselves as enforcing the actual law the real law the government has forgotten about everyone understands even if they can't say it like they understand at a cellular level that law is made in its application like what is legal is what a cop decides is legal. Everything else gets settled afterwards in the court or whatever, but it can't make up for the real power of putting consequences on someone's body in a fixed place in time. That's where law is determined, not in the courts, not in the fucking legislatures. And that means that a cop is sovereign, even if he takes a paycheck, even if he has a mortgage, yes. even if he has $500,000 in credit card debt because he had to upgrade his man cave and he had to get the exact car that... Uh, Stallone drove in Cobra, which is a really dope car. It's like a 33 Mercury or something. This is a great car. And I believe, great movie uh, too. The his his license plate says Cool 50. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's the escape hatch from subjugation for a person who is not part of the knowledge economy, where you get to convince yourself that you're executing your will by using your brain. Oh, aren't you adorable? <laughs> And so if you're and so this is true, I think, for Tom Morazzo, software engineer and police liaison, it's true for the, the it's, but it's also as true for um, this this woman who's trying to be, you know, the inked who's in a contest to be inked cover girl. She's also coming in and enforcing the law as she sees it against people who are, you know, needed 17 years old. And I don't I, I, yeah. I hate all I hate uh, people who fetishize. And, and and like wrap their mind like uh, cabalistically around ideas like in the rising fascism and some American civil war that's going to happen. I feel like that is largely just the cope of people who feel completely trapped by uh, circumstances, unable to exercise, exercise any political will and are fantasizing about an outside force breaking the, cutting the Gordian knot for us. So I really do think that we have to resist the libidinal uh, pull towards those ideas because we want to believe them. Even if we say we're terrified of them, we all want to believe them because something breaking is better than this continuing. We all know that. But all of us individually are too uh, enthralled to our individual circumstances to resist what's coming. And that's because the politics machine is broke and we don't have any way to 
respond co uh, collectively uh, and effectively. And so we have to dream for an outside intervention. But if it's going to come, so I do think that this fault line is going to be where the crack happens, is that under conditions of uh, increased declining standards of living and perceived standards of living, the legitimacy of the state is going to fracture. And if there are enough people on one side of that alienation line, among the people who think they make their own law, and they find themselves sufficiently embedded in our formal institutions of authority and, and, and like social subjugation, they can and will at some point align themselves along, of course, lines determined by money, one faction of capital or one really just one, uh, one direction of flow within capital, like not even a fracture, really. And then mm -hmm. decide to, to uh, eliminate the authority of formal regimes of power, which are only supported by the brain cucks, by the mind cells, and, uh, and of course, the alienated social minorities who cannot be part of any world where the average American decides what's the law, because the average American is a package of cultural values that is anathema to them, and that defines itself in opposition to them, that cannot absorb them. Them plus all of the knowledge workers who think that they can, by subordinating themselves to a system of laws above them and above their individual will and interest, can exercise their greatest amount of autonomy and freedom. And so they they grasp themselves around these formal regimes of power. But at the end of the day, they don't. They literally don't own the guns. They don't pull the triggers. The people who pull the triggers have, in some way or another, absorbed into themselves the idea that in so doing, they exercise law. And they're going to all do it together at some point. It's just a question of when. I honestly don't think we're going to ever see it. I think that is a uh, that is that that millennial fantasy that we use to keep going, is that this might be untenable, but in the future, something's going to give. And that allows me to keep living the life that I am living, because to do otherwise is too, too scary, too alienating, too unpleasant to imagine. And so what I feel like, by, by way of summary... I think you could say that we are living in a version of Maximum Overdrive directed by David Cronenberg, where we're desperate for the truck to exactly. kill us. Yeah. Hi, it's Milo here, the Bottleman producer. Uh, that's the end of part one of this slightly accidentally two-part Bottleman episode. Uh, Riley, Dan and Matt just found they had so much to talk about that it ended up being two hours long. So the second half of this is going to come out next week as the bonus episode i hope you enjoyed this first half do tune in next week for the second half and we'll see you then cheers